Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. slaughter podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing if you're still listening hi guys um we have been away for a while we have been away for a little while i want some credit for like at least trying not to have a break though (laughs) like we we did everything we should have done it did the it was just out of our hands. So basically, I've been marking. Emma's had like residential and stuff, and we did. We we recorded this podcast. We recorded this episode already. The first one of the first times we've tried to get ahead of our schedule. Yeah. So that this didn't happen. So we had a banked episode. We were already. We'd done the slash before as well. We were going to do another slash, and just technical difficulties, nightmare. So. Yeah, yeah, we it was unprecedented. We are in no danger of being taken over by AI. <laughs> That's what I learned. Um, so we're sort of back, but like we might want a summer break, so we'll just see how long that goes. <laughs> <laughs> we're here, but not for long. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't know who's first. Are you first? Am yes, I, first? I think it's okay. me. So let's get started. Okay, so I'm going to be telling you the story about Neville Heath. So he was born on the 6th of June, 1917. Um, He was the son of a barber, but his dad was really self-sacrificing, really clever at saving, and he managed to save up enough money to pay the fees for his son to go to a private school. Which I never see the point in. You're just paying to make your child a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We do both work in the... Yeah, I know. I've got a colleague who went to private school, but he said that he just won't tell people at work that he went to private school because they will go in on him. I I think it's fair. I've got a colleague who went to private boarding school and she is quite possibly one of the dumbest people I know. (laughs) She, yeah. They're paying for grades, not smarts. Yeah. He wasn't really a nice child either, um, as well as probably being a bit of a smug bastard. (laughs) Um, He was also quite cruel to the other children and to animals. Um, He wasn't particularly academic. Um, He was really there because he wanted to play rugby and he failed pretty much all of his exams. Oh, shit. Yeah. So when he left school at the age of 17, he joined what was called the Artist's Rifles. And I was really disappointed when I found out what this was. I thought that was going to be a really bohemian, like pacifist group. Um, I thought it was going to, artist rifles. Yeah. Like stick a paintbrush in a gun, shoot it out at some canvas, call it art. 
Yeah, something wonderful like that. But actually, it's a branch of army reserves, which are, I guess, important and useful, but not as nice as the name suggests. Um, But he found that this lifestyle in the military was really well suited to him. So a year later, he joined the RAF proper in 1936. As flying officer Heath, he was posted to Duxford. And he loved the attention from women that the uniform brought to him. Um, He would go out all the time, pick up girls. And in all his relationships with women later in life, he was domineering and he was mean to them. Oh. Yeah, he was definitely more of like, it was about picking up the girls, not about enjoying the company of women it's weird because everyone sort of makes out that people were super prudish it was really misogynist and there was no sex before marriage but it seems like there was a lot of casual sex in the past it's just that no one really just don't talk about it yeah just don't admit you're doing it and as long as you don't get pregnant it's fine Mm. stick a sponge up oh god they did that yeah i wonder what yeah would that work I don't know. I'd be more worried about getting it back out. Anyway, um, so the military has always been a place throughout history where people from lower circles in society could rise in the ranks um, and make a name for themselves in the world. But Neville Heath, he was far too impatient to wait for this to happen to him. And he embezzled funds from the mess and began writing fraudulent checks. At age 20, he was arrested by the military and was being held in the guard room um, after one time of being absent without leave when he managed to escape. So newspapers at the time reported that he'd used pillows under his blankets to make it appear as if he was still sleeping and then he stole a sergeant's car. When he was recovered in September 1937, Heath was dismissed from the RAF entirely. Within a couple of months, however, Heath was arrested again and on parole for fraudulent offences, including posing as a lord. A lord. Yeah, I think it's all bar talk, going out saying, oh, by the way, I'm Lord Spinkleberry. (laughs) I think we've done that. I think the problem was that Heath was pretending to be a specific lord and actually stealing his identity. Um, In July 1938, Heath was sent to a borstal for three years after he'd stolen jewellery from a friend's house. Um, Now, I heard of like borstal schools where they sent younger people. Mm. And he was about 20 at this time. But I think it's more that it was about the reform side of it rather than just a prison sentence. So, of course, World War II broke out in the autumn of 1939 and Heath was once again able to join the military. So they needed men fast and it didn't make them so fussy when it came to people's criminal past. I imagine they're just like ball stalls and then prisons get them straight in the army. Especially someone who had experience of being in the RAF. Just get him in. Uh, So in March of 1940, he was posted out to the Middle East. As time went on, he worked quite hard, people were impressed with him, and he became an acting captain. However, this trust that they placed in him didn't stop Heath from reverting to his dishonest nature. Heath actually obtained a second pay book, and for a time he was getting paid twice for his job. (laughs) Which is the dream. Yeah, I mean, I think we'd all be happy teaching if we were getting two pay slips. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, he also got into bother because he'd attempted to swindle a brigadier with some bad checks. Heath once again tried to go AWOL to outrun his problems, but he was caught and court-martialed. So as part of his punishment, um, Heath was going to be sent back to England and he was put on board a ship that was due to take him back there. Now this is the World War and they can't just be sailing all the way back to England directly for the sake of this little bogger. So the ship was scheduled to sail around the Capes of South Africa before returning to Britain. So Heath took his chance when the ship was in one of the ports at Durban and snuck off. From there, he made his way to Johannesburg, portraying himself as Captain Selway MC. Um, he met a girl. <laughs> Isn't was, MC like a DJ? Yeah. <laughs> MC Selway in the house. What's up, Johannesburg? <laughs> I think so. Come on, Johannesburg. <laughs> um, so he met a girl there called Elizabeth Pitt Rivers, um, who fell pregnant. So, yes. The sponge didn't work. Uh, the sponge failed them. I mean, eventually it's going to get heavy. <laughs> her, so her wealthy family were able to basically pay him off as much as he needed to agree to marry her and prevent a scandal. Um, but he took this opportunity to just take the money and desert his wife and son. Brilliant. I mean, he's great. Male prerogative, isn't it, that? Um, So he just used another fake name, this time calling himself Armstrong, and enlisted in the South African Air Force. So while he was there, eventually it came to light his real name and his criminal past. But because he had impressed his superiors so much, then now he was actually a captain properly, he was permitted to stay. And then from there... Um, he was seconded to the RAF back in Britain in 1944. So he ended up making his way home on much better terms than he was supposed to. While he was working in the RAF back in Britain, he actually was flying bomber planes and managed to survive a plane crash when he was hit by the enemy over Holland. The RAF was not the most, I think that has the most casualties. It was the most dangerous sector of the army because you're, you're literally flying into battle and then they'd obviously try and shoot you down. So you're being attacked by the planes and then people on the ground. And and I guess if you're shot down, then... That's it, yeah. That's you're just on it. your own. So actually, in 1945, when Heath was back in London, he was something of a war hero, having survived that. Like I said, he'd been shot down in a in an occupied country, managed to survive and make his way back home, he'd done really, really well. But Heath wanted more glory than he had earned. And eventually he was court-martialed again because he was wearing unauthorized military decorations, which seems bizarre. He would have got some medals anyway. Yeah. But yeah, he just stuck on a few more and said he'd got them. So now by the summer of 1946, um, at this point Heath has been a bit of a bastard, not very nice. He was on the right side of the war. He did some okay things. Um, He's just a bit of a shit. But now Heath is going to prove that he was capable of things far worse than the fraud that he'd been committing in the past. I mean, this is a murder podcast, so I think we know it was coming. Well, I think he just was a bit bored. (laughs) What to do now? So May of 1946, Heath began dating a woman called Mrs. Marjorie Gardner. 
They conducted their affair in various nightclubs in London um, and they would often spend the night together in hotels. Uh, Marjorie was known to be into masochism during sex and Heath was more than happy to oblige in this. One night, the hotel staff recalled that they had been asked to come and check that everything was okay because they'd heard such intense screaming coming from the room where the couple were. But this time, at least, it was just all good fun and sexy games. It's always a bit scary if your sex sounds like someone's being murdered because once you're actually murdered. I mean, my sex sounds like we're already asleep. So. Oh, God. I didn't know where that sentence was going to end. I was worried. <laughs> On the 20th of June, the pair stayed at the Pembridge Court Hotel in Notting Hill. Heath um, left the hotel at some point in the night and then when a chambermaid went to clean the room the following day she found Marjorie Gardner was still there she was hidden beneath the bed covers so when they were pulled back they revealed a terrifying sight Marjorie was dead her ankles and wrists were bound her face was bruised her back showed marks um, of severe whiplashes Fuck. from sort of a riding crop that had crisscross markings that were really visible on her skin. Her nipples had been bitten so oh, where they were God. nearly severed. Oh my God, that's foul. Large amounts of blood were present on the bedclothes from where something quite rough had been inserted into her vagina. But all of these injuries were believed to have been inflicted before her death, which seemed to have been caused by suffocation. So, of course, Heath had checked into this hotel under his own name and left. So the police began a search for Neville Heath. Reports were printed in newspapers mm. about this murder and that they were looking for him. But the police were careful not to print his picture because they wanted to ensure that only people who knew Neville would come forward and there wouldn't be any false sightings taking up their time. Which I think is interesting that they knew even back then, just don't trust the British public with anything really serious. <laughs> Pretty much. So Heath, he fled to Worthing in Sussex to see another of his lovers, Yvonne Simons. So he explained to her, yes, my name is in the papers saying I've committed a murder. Um, but he said it'd be only been linked to him because he let a friend use his room where he wanted to go and take a girl back. And it was actually nothing to do with him. He'd found the girl's body, so he just took his things and left. And he promised her that he was going to go to Scotland Yard the following day and just get everything straightened out. Not before he'd had tea with her parents. And <laughs> there's more important things to be done. I mean, it says a lot if you're willing to trust a guy who says, yes, I'm in the papers for murder, but... And you carry on listening yeah. to that conversation. And you have finger sandwiches and, you, <laughs> and tea. Fair enough. So Heath did not go to Scotland Yard. He instead wrote a letter on the 22nd of June to Chief Inspector Barrett. Um, he told his side of the story and he claimed that he'd given the key this time to Marjorie because she'd met an acquaintance, quote, with whom she was obliged to sleep. <laughs> the reasons, as I understand them, were mainly financial. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he was basically trying to accuse Marjorie of being a sex worker and just put it down to that. 
Uh, Marjorie was known to the police. Uh, She'd been caught as a passenger in a stolen car and she was a known acquaintance of some of the pimps around London. Yeah, And Heath knew this would help make his story seem more plausible. He claimed that he was still too afraid to come forward and face them, but he would help them find the man who he called Jack. And he also said that he was in possession of the whip that Marjorie was beaten with. And obviously his fingerprints were going to be on it. <laughs> oh, God. But so would other people. Why would he have it? Yeah, I don't well, I just, know. I just thought I'd take it with me. Unless he was just trying to claim, like, as he gathered up his things quickly, it just... He picked slithered it up with it. Oh. But yeah, he said he would send the whip on to the police later. Oh, brilliant. Um, Heath did not send on the whip. And after he posted the letter, he just moved along the coast to Bournemouth. I mean, I'm a little bit... It's a sign of the times that this was far enough to go. But he really wasn't trying to get far. <laughs> um, so while he was in Bournemouth, he met um, a young girl called... A young girl, a young lady. Young lady, or a Curtis. Curtis. <laughs> Sorry, Love Island reference there. Oh, he's so <laughs> gross, isn't he? Oh, they're all ridiculous. I love Maura, though. At the start, I was, I mean, I'm really bad at first impressions. Lucy will just be exasperated by this because yeah, she knows on. full well that whenever I fancy a guy, if she tells me he's creepy, in about two weeks, I'll be like, yeah, it was really creepy. <laughs> Sometimes two hours. Yeah. <laughs> and at the start, I was like, oh, I'd definitely go for Curtis in real life. He's uh, tall, he's bubbly, he's no. a, a bit of me. And now he <laughs> creeps me out now yeah. so much. I just can't grim. stand to hear him talk. Where was Greg the whole time? The Greg's like the best one. Why put him in right near the end? He's like a Welsh, no way, Irish rugby playing. Like, always a, rugby players are the best, I think, of, of men. They're the gold standard of men. Because they're... Fuck you, fit. doctors and teachers. <laughs> yeah. They're like fit in a healthy way, but like in a bigger way. And then also <laughs> sort of always gentlemen a bit, aren't they? Oh, well, there you go. Okay. Heard it from Lucy. Never met a rugby player I didn't like. So, Neville Heath, a rugby player in his youth, oh, met... Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> met Doreen Marshall. She was about 21 years old. Um, They met on the 3rd of July. She'd been working as a wren at the end of the war. um, And she was out with a friend when Neville Heath introduced himself using the name Captain Rupert Brooke. So he claimed that he'd met the girls previously at a dance. And I think out of social awkwardness, they were like, oh yeah, sure, we know you a bit. And eventually, sensing that there was a bit of chemistry, Doreen's friend eventually made her excuses and left the pair to it. So Heath invited Doreen to tea at his hotel that afternoon. And this sort of continued into the evening and then into the night as they had drinks and dinner. At some point in the evening, Doreen asked another guest at the hotel who was there with his wife if he would call her a taxi. But Heath managed to intercept and cancelled the order and said, it's okay, I'm going to walk you home. So that suggests that she knew something was off if she approached a man who she thought, he's with a woman, he's safe, please get me a taxi, I want Mm. to go. They left just after midnight and Heath told the night porter that he could expect him back in about half an hour. Doreen, again, 
another red flag that something was going wrong, she quickly interrupted and said, no, he's going to be back here in quarter of an hour. Unfortunately, Doreen didn't make it back to her hotel that night. Um, By 4am, the night porter back at Heath's hotel was pretty confused as to where Captain Rupert Brooke had got to also. So he went up to his room and there he found Neville Heath asleep in his bed. So still confused, in the morning, Heath told the porter that as he'd come home, he'd seen a ladder left at the side of hotel and thought it'd be a really good joke to play on the porter (laughs) if he snuck in without going past him. Yeah, great. You stood up all night waiting for me and I just climbed a ladder. Brilliant. Joke we can all enjoy. Yeah. Um, But clearly he wanted to cover up the time of his return. So now, Friday the 5th of July, the manager of Doreen's hotel became concerned when he hadn't seen her at breakfast or dinner. So he... Imagine that. Like you're in a hotel and they notice you don't come down for breakfast. It's amazing service. (laughs) So not just that, he gets better. I think he's the real hero of the story. He remembered. Doreen had obviously come back to her hotel before being invited to go and meet Heath for tea when she'd been invited. Um, So she'd called a taxi from her hotel to Neville Heath's hotel. So the manager knew she'd gone to tea there on Wednesday so he rang Heath's hotel and asked if the young lady had been there so Heath was asked if the young lady he dined with was the missing Doreen Marshall and when he said yes he was told he needed to make contact with the police to help with their inquiries so because these hotel managers are so on the ball they made sure he went and on the 6th of (laughs) july Heath went to the police station and identified a photograph of doreen Um, and then he told the police officers that he thought it's pretty likely she'd gone off with an american soldier that she'd liked and then went to leave as he was leaving the station however doreen's father and sister were coming into the station and this encounter seemed to leave Heath visibly shaken. So the detective noticed this and suspected something more was wrong and he asked the man claiming to be Captain Brooke, isn't your name Heath? When he denied it, the detective continued saying that he looked exactly like the pictures that were in the newspapers. Heath agreed and said, oh yeah, people often say I look like that guy. But of course, not a single photograph had been printed. So this gave the detectives another little nugget that perhaps he wasn't all he said he was. Yeah, because he was just so quick to lie. Exactly. At that point though, like this guy's covering something up. It's good detective work. Mm, Old school. Yeah. So he delayed Heath until they could check against the police photograph that they had of him. And once they were sure of his true identity, they detained him in custody. Heath started to be a bit of a wiener and was like, oh, can I just leave and go and get my coat? I'm really cold here. And he's like, that's fine. We'll get it for you. And when they did, they searched his pockets. Inside, they found a single pearl from part of a necklace, the return train ticket that had belonged to Doreen Marshall, and a cloakroom ticket for Bournemouth West Railway Station. So the police went to this cloakroom and redeemed the ticket, where they recovered a suitcase containing several items of clothing, which had the name Heath written in the label, um, a bloodstained scarf, 
and a hard patterned whip, which markings matched the ones inflicted on Marjorie Gardner. Following this, Heath was taken to London, where he was formally charged with Marjorie's murder. Back in Bournemouth on the 8th of July, a Miss Evans was walking her dog in a woodland in Bournemouth. Uh, The dog became interested in some bushes that were surrounded by a huge swarm of flies. So she went back later with her dad and they found the body of a woman that had been covered over with a camel coat. Underneath, the body of Doreen Marshall was naked except for one shoe. She'd been killed. um, She had blows to the back of her head and she had suffered several other injuries in what must have been a fight for her life. Oh, God. She had the wounds to her hands where she'd most likely grabbed the blade of a knife. And the actual cause of her death was a cut to the throat. After death, it appeared she'd been mutilated in much the same way as Marjorie. Her wrists were tied, her nipples bitten to where they were nearly severed, and other objects, possibly a branch, had been inserted into her vagina. So gruesome. It is really horrible. Everyone's probably clutching their nipples right now. Yeah. Nearby was found a broken string of pearls, one of which had been found in Heath's pocket. Um, Initially, Heath was going to plead guilty to his crimes, but was persuaded against it by his lawyers, who hoped to use a defence strategy of claiming insanity. A manslaughter verdict could have been reached if they'd been willing to prove that Marjorie's death was a result of a sex game gone wrong. However, they really didn't want to bring up this whole debate that a woman could willingly consent to kinky sex and that she was enjoying this and she'd asked for it. It was felt to be a progressive mania that just would not stand in society and it would be of detriment to everyone if it was decided that that was the case. Oh, my God. Um, So they had to say that he'd willfully murdered her. So with more evidence to prosecute uh, for Marjorie Gardner's murder, it was decided that Heath would go to trial only for this one and not for the death of Doreen Marshall. His trial began on the 24th of September in 1946, And his defense did try to prove he was insane based on the fact that not that he didn't know what he was doing, um, but that what he didn't know that what he was doing was wrong. But after an hour of deliberation, he was found guilty. And then following that was hanged at Pentonville on the 26th of October, 1946, at age just 29. Oh, my God. You always picture a creepy old man, don't you? He was a young, cute officer who just loved biting nipples. But I've heard that twice and I completely forgot how awful it was. But uh, at least, I mean, at least he got caught after two. That's true. Because, like, when we look at a lot of other serial killers, they start later in life and then get more prolific. This could have been the start of a longer career in serial killing if you hadn't have been caught so soon. So, well done, hotel managers. Yeah, exactly. Because it would have been easy to slip away in those times. You just suddenly, like, move to another city and then no one seems to know who anyone is. Yeah, change your name. It's all fine. Yeah. Well done. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Dinner time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so after a quick catch up, um, uh, we uh, I'm going to tell you the story of Robin Garbutt. Um, which is a story you've probably forgotten, even though you've heard it before. But uh, that's to Emma, not you guys. I've not told it before. But um, it's one of those ones that's not completely cut and dry. So just okay, hold your judgment as I tell it. <laughs> no. hmm. So he was a postmaster at the post office in Melsonby Village, which is in North Yorkshire. Cute little village. Post, nice. post office. Postmaster lives above it. He lived at the post office with his wife, Diana. And they were considered like a lovely couple. It's a small community. Um, on March 23rd, 2010, Robin called the police and he told them that a robber carrying a gun had broken into his house. Uh, you can actually listen to the call on YouTube. Um, it's, like, just, it's just a man telling the police that a robber's broken in basically and his wife's not okay. So police arrive and they find Diana Garbett. Robin's wife, dead in bed. Oh, so did he say that on the 911 call that she's injured? I'm not going to lie. I wrote this a while ago. <laughs> like, I think so. I think he said, a guy's broken in and my mom, my, mom, my wife is upstairs dead. But um, find out for yourselves. <laughs> um, 
Unless we pause it, should we just pause it and find Sorry. out? Sorry. So on listening to the 999 call, we can establish, yes, he did know that his wife had been attacked. Um, so police arrived and they find Dana Garbett um, died in bed and her head had been beaten by a metal bar, which is interesting Ooh. because he said the guy had a gun. Um, yeah. I don't know why if you had a gun, you'd beat a woman with a metal bar. But who knows? A so- gun is a type of metal bar. yeah that's true following the murder detectives appealed for information from the local community so robin was interviewed obviously and he gave some further details in this interview than what he'd said in the 999 call um he said the robber had run into the store at 8 30 a.m and ordered him to switch on the lights lock the doors and don't do anything stupid he said they um that sounds like me at school (laughs) (laughs) Shut the door, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> he said that they an- then asked him to fill a whole door with money from the safe, which he had done, and then they'd fled. But then he'd found that he said he'd found his wife dead upstairs. Now, I'm not entirely sure at what point he's suggesting that his wife was murdered before or after, but um, it, there's not a lot on this case. There's a lot. It's like a few news articles, but it's not like mm. someone's written a book about it or something. So paramedics arrived and were slightly surprised that um, Diana had already started to show signs of rigor mortis. Rigor Morris, rigor Morris, girl. <laughs> um, and I wonder how soon that sets in. You'd imagine the what? Yeah. So they 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 were like this. This is early for rigor mortis um and like she hadn't been dead for long apparently according to the call so the police also questioned why robin hadn't set off the silent alarm at the post office when the robbery had taken place but i'm not sure that's enough reason to suggest that someone's dodgy um no witnesses came forward and that's surprising though because it was quite a small community you'd think someone who people didn't know um, you'd ask them to turn the lights on yeah, with their hold all would have been spotted. And eight thirty in the morning, people are out and about, aren't they? A bit. Yeah. Um. So a crucial piece of evidence, and perhaps the most British evidence we've ever seen so far on this podcast, lipstick on a teacup, <laughs> was that Diana had eaten fish and chips as her usual Friday meal the night before. And fish and chips on a Friday is a fish very chip supper, very British tradition. I think it's something to do with um Jesus. Isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Wasn't he killed on a Friday, so you shouldn't have meat on a Friday? He was killed on a Thursday. Rose from the dead on a Friday? Wait, why good is it fr- called Monday, Thursday, but then it's Good Friday, so he died on Friday, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, just have fish and chips <laughs> on a Friday. I think, yeah. Um, so next- I think it's just because we're happy it's the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the main of it. Let's just make it Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so an expert on digestion analysed the contents of her stomach and stated that the meal had been digested for about six to eight hours before she died, which would mean that she would have been killed in the middle of the night unless she was eating at like 1am, which considering she hadn't been for a night out was yeah. less likely. Following this revelation, more details began to be revealed. The couple were actually in debt. So about 30 grand across six credit cards. You know what old people do as well? What? Like my parents, if they buy, if my dad goes and gets fish and chips, he puts it in the oven. Yeah, why? Like, maybe it's just like, 
I don't know, like my dad's weird about when we get a takeaway, anything. So if it's fish and chips, he'll have plates in the oven warm. My mum's exactly the same. And then puts the fish and chips in there for like yes. a few minutes. Or Chinese, like if he gets that, he'll have to uh, like decant everything into bowls yeah. and put it on the little warmer. Like, no, no just get your box on your plate. Let's go. My mum has to have plates in the oven. Everything's got to be steaming hot. And if it's not, she's like, oh, it's cold. Yeah. If you can touch the plate with your hand, it's not warm enough. Yeah. So Diana and Robin had been on quite a lot of luxury holidays and that's where their money had been spent. And they obviously couldn't afford them. Uh, There were other problems. So Diana had described Robin as not into sex. Oh, dear. Um, Whereas she was left unsatisfied. So she'd apparently told Robin that Just she... Just on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. The stuff that can sort you out. <laughs> um, she, she told Robin that she'd kissed the husband of her cousin at a family party in Wales. Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> what in Wales? This is full of stereotypes. Uh-huh. Fish and chips for the British, bit of cousin kissing for the Welsh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then she also said that she had slept with another man on the sofa while her husband had been upstairs in bed in December 2010. So it's not looking as perfect villagey as we thought. Yeah. I mean, maybe very villagey, but <laughs> as perfect as we thought. So it also emerged that she had been going for late night cycle rides with a neighbour. Oh dear. Exchanging flirty text messages with him. So she's also on some dating site as well called Badoo. Oh gosh, so she really is going for it then. It started out with like, oh well I just had this drunken kiss, I just did this. (laughs) She's actively seeking out men. (laughs) She's trying to get some sex. Um, So Robin Garbett was arrested three weeks after his wife's murder. There was also a discussion of money being missing from the post office and that Diana and Robin were planning another holiday. And so they'd arrange for a postmistress to come and look I mean, that's her. harsh, Diana. Let's just, like, if you're going to be cheating on your husband and then also getting him to take you on holiday. Yeah. I mean, she's living her best life, but... Yeah, I'm not sure what he's getting out of it. So, like, like basically the motive they're suggesting was that because they were going on holiday again that they they were getting someone round to the post office to do the accounts or just like look after it but would be doing the accounts yeah. Maybe and then she'd only... spot like missing money ah i see so that they'd been stealing but there's no necessary there's not necessarily any evidence that i mean diana probably did the accounts anyway so she would have known but also there's not necessarily any evidence that they were stealing it's just a theory Mm. so at trial robin cried about how much he loved his wife and he maintains that a robber killed his wife um never like even thought about pleading guilty to her murder now the prosecution gave a different story they stated that diana had gone to bed um after her fish and chips in the early hours of the morning that robin had gone into their bedroom um holding a metal bar that he had hit her over the head three times while she slept and then left the body in bed as he hid the bar on a wall over the road i mean it's not really hid is it like put it on a wall um he then had opened up the post office he had served 60 customers that morning pretended all was well 60 customers did you just 60 people bloody hell which is on evidence of the till roll I mean, it's doing all right. I mean, that is a rush on. I mean, they're probably all buying, what, fags and scratch, scratch cards? What do people buy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 8.30 in the morning. Oh, my goodness. Well, stamps. Uh, stamps. 
will have serious letters to send and then after a while he'd called 999 claiming a robber with a gun had entered the property now the safe record showed the safe had been opened at 8 35 but he had called the police at 8 37 so they when did he serve all these 60 people so i guess that would be between 7 30 and 8 ish right so they they're basically they're saying well how did he open the safe realize his wife was dead and then call the police in two minutes it's more likely that this was the plan all along so then he got some money out of the safe and then dialed 999 like he's not fretting Mm. but yeah so the jury sided with the prosecution and he received a 20-year sentence but there is a bit more to the story than that in terms of what his supporters are saying so i'm going to go through that now so he's got a lot of supporters his family have set up robingarbettofficial.com which is his website a bit like um that crazy doctor i did not long ago they claim there has been a terrible miscarriage of justice and they've got some reasons for this so they've got details on their site of robin's actions after the murder so he Mm. went back to his family he collapsed in his sister's arms he cooperated with the police he volunteered to speak to them they also said that the reason that he was arrested wasn't on evidence that actually does connect him to the murder so they said that some boxer shorts were found by police in Robin's outside bin with blood and shit on them. And oh. they basically thought all oh, the blood is Diana's and Robin's put his boxes in there. And I guess... He sh- got his blood in it, her blood in his ass crack. <laughs> but... If it's shit, they eat it. It's clearly just got piles. <laughs> but it turned out they were the... Uh, boxes of a neighbour. Oh my god. <laughs> Imagine, like, how uncomfortable was that walk home? How strict is that neighbour's wife that he didn't put his bloody shit pants in his own bin? <laughs> but also, imagine if you did put your embarrassing bloody shit pants in someone else's bin and then the next day you realise that there's been a murder there and I love it. Exhibit A. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, they're mine. Like, yeah. It's not like the blood, it's the shit. Like, Everyone, like, we always have that. Any kind of residential with the kids that when we pack up to go home, there's always a pair of pants or socks left and no one will ever claim them. Okay. No matter what. They, they always shit way- No, they'll just be normal pants. Oh. I mean, this time it was day one and the kids were all going to the shower and there's about five boys in the corridor and one of them just literally dropped his clean pair of pants walking from the bedroom to the shower. And I was like, oh, hold up. One of you's dropped this pair of pants. Nobody would claim them. I was like, there's five of you. We know they're clean. We it know happened- everyone wears pants. It happened right now. just pick up your pants so you can wear them that's all we need to do is just give them back to you so you can have pants on and it's like i can't admit i have pants exactly (laughs) i threw so many pair of pants in the bin because this year i was like we'd had clothes from that we'd worn in the lake so they were all hanging out to dry and there's about five pairs of pants that weren't claimed and i was like i'm not playing the stupid pants game they're just all (laughs) going in the bin now and it's your fault Uh, what you should do is like line them up and get the parents to come and see if they can recognize that they got like walk around see that's the thing parents aren't bothered about that they would more than happily inspect each they'd probably do a sniff test parents (laughs) definitely michael parents would do it but i am not carrying a bag of stinky pants back on the coach and then laying them out on the hall floor for you to peruse (laughs) 
<laughs> they're going in the bin. It's got to be some rule against that. Put them in the neighbor's <laughs> bin. So the family also say that none of Robin's DNA was found on the bar, which was the murder weapon. Um, however, Diana's was, and an unidentified male's was. But I don't know if that's collaborated by the police, though. It's hard to know. It's just on his website. So according to the site, a witness heard Robin talking to a female, which presumably must have been Diana, because we called her that, at 6.45am on the day he phoned 999. So if that's true, then then obviously she was still alive. And then the till roll shows that he was working in the shop from about then until he calls 999. So if they did actually hear him talking to Diana, which is what a witness suggests they did, then he didn't do it effectively. Um, There's also a claim that there was a clump of hair that was found on the pillow next to Diana. And I think there's photographic evidence as well of that, that wasn't the same color as Diana's and it wasn't the same color as Robin's, as if she sort of clawed out some, like grabbed someone's hair. So this was lost by the North Yorkshire police. Oh dear. Yeah. There was also unknown male DNA on a pillow in the bedroom, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was her murderer. Well, she was sleeping with randoms, wasn't she? Yeah. There were also, there's like this thing about two bedside lamps that were placed in a wardrobe and the the family were like, why would why would family place the, the lamps in a wardrobe, but why would police place it and there's something about blood splatter that is really confusing but um you can have a look on the website for that also it's not possible that someone could commit this crime and not get blood on them the police confirmed that they said if someone's hit with a metal bar they will have blood on their body because it is the head bleeds a lot it's a bloody murder but They didn't find any clothes of Robin's that had blood that he'd hidden. There was no blood on him. I guess it's sort of like the staircase, wasn't there? Like Mm. he, but he had blood on, didn't he? Because he'd held her. Yes, he was covered in it, wasn't he? I think he didn't do it now. It's a difficult one. The family also argued there was no proof that Robin was stealing money. Um, uh, However, on the other side of that, Diana's mother, Agnes said that she was relieved that justice had been carried out. So she obviously believed that Robin was capable, which suggests that maybe she was... I mean, maybe she's just really trying to find the murderer and she like she thinks that's the most obvious one. But like, if I, if I got killed and Luke said he didn't do it, my mum would 100% believe him, I feel. Like oh, she'd yeah. be like, there's no way, there's no way Luke would do it. He's the best. Do you just want to move in with me and we'll carry on living together? Exactly. The house the murder took place in is currently for sale, so you can see it. Um, it's in Melsonbury for $325,000. And it does state a crime took place in this property on the um, on the listing, which I didn't know they did. And then in 2015, Robin applied for a case review. An investigative journalist is actually working with the family on this, which again makes me think that maybe there is a chance he didn't do it because if it was really obvious, why would a journalist... Like, they must believe he's innocent and there's a good chance he's innocent. Otherwise, like, it must be ambiguous enough for him to spend his time doing that. I, mean, I don't know if he's doing a podcast or something, but um, he's definitely working on the case. 
um, and he made an appeal in 2012, but he lost this and the case review wasn't granted. So up until now, they've not actually looked into it, but it's still going on. His family is still now appealing. Like when I researched this a few weeks ago, the family had just put out another appeal against the conviction. Um, his former girlfriend joined the campaign and saying that there's no way he's he's able to have done any of this, that he's a good man. There was no like weird stuff in their relationship. It was a good relationship. And apparently there's some new evidence as well that they can't disclose um, that they suggest shows that he's innocent as well. So I, th- I thought of like super sleuth podcasts that actually do a bit of investigation. It's probably quite it sounds a good like one. Some, it sounds like the sort of story where someone would pick it up soon. Yeah, like it's ambiguous enough. It's recent enough that there might still be evidence and you can win, like there's witnesses, you can interview people. Mm. So I think it's ripe for an investigation. Um, but you guys can just have a little look and tell us what you think as well because it is a bit of a an ambiguous one. I really don't know. I really can't. I just don't know enough to say either way, but I'm, it's definitely a big question mark for me. Mm. So, yeah. Thank you very much, Lucy. Food for thought. Uh, so thanks for listening. If you would like to support us, um, I think number one thing that we haven't asked for for a while is iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a review. Um, a five-star review would be amazing. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, thanks for listening and thanks for waiting for yes. this episode. Love you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.